Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and I'm joined once again from across the pond by the statesman to my kingsman. It's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. John, good evening. Good evening, sir. It's actually just before evening for me, but we're we're approaching that time. It's getting to be there. It'll be dark in an hour. That's how ridiculous the daylight savings time thing is here. Um, it, it's kind of nightmarish. Like at five thirty, it's already starting to get dark, and you're just like, "Well, it's time for bed, right? Six o'clock. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine, everybody." Dinner time at four o'clock early, and then have another one at six o'clock because you say you got mixed up with the time. And hell, everyone's a winner. Get your pumpkin donuts in, pumpkin spice latte. It's still that season, damn it. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to tonight's show, my friend. It's been a busy old weekend over in the UK. I've had a poorly, poorly daughter to look after, so it's kind of been. Not that we can do anything because of the lockdown strikes back over here, but it's kind of been sitting on my backside, still playing or tending a young youngster. Um, but obviously in that, there are things that have been keeping me bloody awesome, which we're going to mention at the end of the episode. So yeah. um, looking one forward the, to this, man. The, one of the things I love about doing this podcast with you is hearing British phrasing of things that I've never heard in movies. Um, <laughs> It's like you you texted me that uh, your daughter was poorly, and I thought you just left out a word, but apparently that is the whole expression, right? It's just yeah, if, if they're if not you're, feeling you're good, feeling, you're feeling poorly. It's just it's just a way of saying you're not you're not you're feeling under the weather somewhat. You're feeling a yeah uh, a bit knackered, but uh, yeah, I, she had a cold. I was smart enough to put it together, but I was like, when you first typed it, I was like, well, what does that mean? Did she lose yeah. her job? Like, what's going At on? Yeah. Point, oh, she's she's four years old, and it, times are tough in this house, of course. <laughs> The struggle is real. Um, it is. At some point, I would drop the uh, the Cockney rhyming slang in and completely bewilder half of the audience. But um, yeah, man, so I'm looking forward to uh, diving into this one. But before that, I want to know how, how your week's been. Um, you know, my week has been uh, pretty, pretty crazy. We had um, for like my work week last week. This is going back to the day after we recorded. I was off Wednesday last week because for, for Veterans Day. And in the middle of Veterans Day, we get a phone call that there is a tropical storm coming our way and we're gonna go ahead and take the day off on thursday so that completely throws off my lesson plans because uh we 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 have six classes out of my high school but we meet with our odd classes on mondays and wednesdays and fridays and then our even classes on tuesday thursday and friday friday we see all six classes normally but so last week we were going to see our odd classes on monday and friday even classes on tuesday and thursday and then off wednesday right well, then we just lost our even classes on Thursday. So I only saw them once last week. So then cut to today, Tuesday, when we record this and I'm seeing my even classes. I have my lesson plans for Thursday, but now it's been a week since I've thought about them. And I was all over the place today. I was super like I had them ready, but I'd forgotten my plan. Cause I don't like write out like what, you know, I'm going to say and stuff, but I know going into class. And today I was just like, oh, wait, what? Oh, no. And I was like ad-libbing things. I'm like, guys, I am so sorry. I know this is erratic. I'm going to pause and we're going to start over a little bit because it was, man. Um, But I do have in my hand a hot coffee from Dunkin' Donuts, just a regular coffee. I did not ask for a donut, but I did see that they currently have a ghost pepper donut. Ghost pepper? Jesus. I'm going to have to try it. Uh, I like spicy stuff. And I did earlier this year, I did the, uh, the... 
hot ones challenge. Yes. And so I'm like, okay, a ghost pepper donut, eh? Uh, so on Friday, I'm going to attempt to get one. My luck is they will be sold out. Although I feel like that's going to be a less hot item <laughs> than uh, the pumpkin donuts. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, well, you, um, they, as soon as they see you coming, they won't serve you the damn pu- pu- pumpkin donuts. But you're coming Friday on Instagram stories around the world. Hopefully we'll be seeing JB chowing down on a <laughs> pepper donut. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious because, you know, sweet and hot go well together. So I'm thinking it's going it to be pretty tasty, but... Um, well, I've got yeah. rainbow cookies here, which is flying in the fa- immersion, flying in the face of diets, which went out the window about three, three lockdowns ago. But I've uh, got those which I've been chewing when JB came on air earlier. And but, um, but yeah, the bloody awesome movie podcast. Not only do we talk about the donuts and cookies we eat, we shouldn't be eating. We do talk about films, and the premise of this for those who are new is John and myself. We we take one film which we kind of deem to be the the biggest or the most interesting release of the last week or of recent weeks because of the pandemic. And we dive into it. It's always non-spoiler. We always say that up top. It's always non-spoiler. We'll never ruin the film for you. Or if it's, uh, in, in this case, this one was inspired by a true story. So if you're not aware of the true story, some of what we will say may kind of bleed into the story somewhat, but we still won't give away any of the outcomes of anything. But the film we're talking about is The Trial of the Chicago 7, which came out couple of weeks ago now, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. What a cast. It stars Eddie Redmayne, Alex Sharp, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, John Carroll Lynch, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, JGL, Ben Shankman, JC McKenzie, ooh, and Frank Langella, or Langella, if you will. And I mentioned it's based on a true story. That's the story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, how's it doing in terms of critics? Metascore, give it a, a quite, quite a decent 76 on Metascore. 7.9 IMD user score and 91% rot- Rotten Tomatoes, Tomatoes critic score. So across the board, pretty well received. Uh, and it's available all around the world on Netflix. So listeners in the US and the UK, Netflix, uh, and for our international listeners, Netflix. Um, So we said this is inspired by the events of a true story, which we're, again, not going to mention any specifics about what happens in the film. It's all about our thoughts. And up top, my first thought of this film, when I went into it, was I liked Molly's game uh, quite a bit. I really like Aaron Sorkin as a writer. I think most people do. And I think they all agree that, He's a very, 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 very solid, strong writer. Um, and Molly's game was very decent. I was interested to see what he could do with this, because obviously his kind of uh, ballpark is politics. He's very outspoken about politics, and he does lean one way. But Chicago, Trial, of Chicago, Trial of Chicago 7, I thought, was ace. I really, really liked this. Um, I went in not knowing much about uh, anything about the trial, Anything about the critic scores, only then, other than one of my um, buddies, Chris Patterson, over at the Oz Movie Geek, said this is the best film of the year for him. So I heard that, and I was like, okay, well, that's high praise. Went in and watched it. I was like, this is this is great. This is really, really uh, strong. This is really, really good. Across the board, the performances I thought were great, especially Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne. I thought they were really, really good. Uh, obviously, and then you got Borat coming out and this... Seem like literally a week or, week or so after each other shows the range of um, Sasha. The writing it goes about saying it was very well written. It's very sharply written. Some great uh, one liners in there. 
the editing I found to be very good as well. Molly's game had an interesting like pace to it and the way that was edited, whereas this I found a lot more concise. I really liked the, the editing to this film. It really helped push the movie along uh, an awful lot. It reminded me of the Adam McKay films, the Big Short and Vice, that kind of style at times. Uh, it's a very timely film. You know, freedom of speech is a phrase that's thrown around, but doesn't really mean anything depending on who you ask. And that's very uh, apparent in this film. It's quite a raging juicing film as well. At some points I was sitting there watching it and I was fuming. I was, I could feel my blood boiling at some of the things happening. And I, 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 I want a film to affect me. I want a film to make me feel angry, sad, happy, whatever. I, uh, you know, I felt angry watching this film at times because of what was happening and what was being portrayed. And I'm aware now that it's not, it's not entirely accurate in terms of some of the things and the sequences that occurred and who said this and and what happened. But, you know, as an inspiration and uh, like we say, touching on modern times, some things haven't changed, unfortunately. And certain things in this made me just want to go back in time and beat the living hell out of Frank Langella. But, I thought this is a. I thought this is a very, very good film. Uh, I thought it was a really solid film. Great performances across the board. Um, but John, what were your thoughts on this? Because I watched this thinking, I don't know what John's going to think of this. I think I know, but I can't be sure. Well, um, I I knew nothing about this, which I think is a huge indictment on uh, the history classes that I have taken in my time as an <laughs> yeah. American student, um, because it feels like I should have heard about this. Um, but at the same time, I totally can understand why uh, I didn't. Um, it is it is heavily focused in this one city and this one event at a time when, you know, I don't know how much uh, there was definitely news coverage, but I don't know how much would have been, you know, every every city caring like they yeah, probably yeah. should have been. But um, it, it's uh, it's I, I like Sorkin um, quite a bit in ge- uh, in general. Um, I was a fan of Molly's game. Um, I like uh, I've not seen um, the West Wing, but it's on my list. Uh, but I am a big, big fan of the Social Network, Steve mm-hmm. Jobs, Moneyball, um, and uh, specifically Steve Jobs. And one of the things that I really loved about Steve Jobs was I, I've argued with. I actually taught Jobs a couple of years ago, um, and he was in. He it, was in your class. Yes, uh, as, <laughs> the, all of Apple is owed to me. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I told my students. Um, when we were watching it, that uh, the dialogue would feel like an action scene. And that's one of the things that I really love about Sorkin's writing is it, it it's just people talking, but it feels like a lot's happening and it, it makes it feel exciting and engaging. And then you add in those emotional elements to the story inherently that are going to get the rise out of you. And this movie is unbelievably engaging. Um, <laughs> I am a big fan. Uh, there's a website called History versus Hollywood. And I like I like going to that site after I watch a, a movie based on a true story because they do a really good job of kind of cross comparing um, oh, nice. everything that's there. And they, they'll do like side by sides of the images so you can see the original person and the actor who's playing them. Uh, they and usually they, they do a pretty decent job of referencing uh, the books that are like if there's like biographies written or if there's like a the true story novel or whatever. Mm-hmm they have read that and they're referencing the book to compare what the movie is doing and what they left out. And um, it's still like somewhat subjective in some cases, but I, I think it's a really kind of interesting way to, to see where uh, liberties are taken. And Sorkin, 
I do think there's some major problematic elements to this film when it comes to some of the liberties and some of the presentations mm-hmm. um, without getting into any kind of spoilers or anything listeners. But uh, I do think some, some things fall into some trope areas that are problematic in nature. And I think, uh, I think the ending is going to be a big uh, yeah. nitpick point for a lot of people. I, I am not opposed to the, um, I don't know the uh, slow clap type of, of ending. I'm going to, that's borrowing from the slash film cast. I listened to the slash film cast review of this. Um, and they referred to the, the style of ending as like a slow clap. Um, and it, it does, it has a movie kind of feel to it, right? Like it, it feels like a big movie uh, ending. I can totally it see why it's like a staged ending or like a stage ending. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's ending maybe too cleanly. Um, and, I don't always have a problem with that. And I, I don't, I didn't really hear because I am right now um, and have been most of this year in a, in a political mindset of uh, we need to fight for justice. And this movie is heavily about injustice in so many different ways. And in a lot of crazy ways, parallels things that uh, he wouldn't have known was going to happen this year. You know, the Sorkin mm-hmm. wouldn't have known yeah, yeah, yeah. that, there'd be so many protests happening and things like that. So in those parallels, um, there are other parallels where his, as you mentioned, his very politically leaning one side, those <laughs> things come through for sure. But then there are parallels where you're just like, man, it's crazy how things that are happening today have been happening for 40 years. And mm-hmm. why are they still happening? Those questions, I think really get that emotional rise out of you. Um, I loved so many of the performances in this movie. I, I am, I've been a Mark Rylance guy now since yeah. Bridge of Spies. I think um, was really where I first was like, "Wait a minute, who is this guy?" And since then, you know, he's been in a lot of stuff, and I, I loved him in Dunkirk. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I actually love him in Ready Player One, but now I feel like this character has a little bit of that like performance. Uh, it's true, actually. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I, and that's kind of, oh, maybe he's falling into that like the trap of that performance um sasha baron cohen i've i've known is flexible although i think a lot of people think of him as the big crazy comedic actor and he is being big and crazy at times in this movie but he is able to to bring it down several notches and um there there's something about him that i really like i am i'm still on the fence about Redman, dude like i don't know did not what do, it is to ascend in? i actually I am a bigger fan of that movie than most people because I, I like the Wachowskis. I, I defend the Wachowskis yes. almost out of like principle at this point, but um, I like Eddie Redmayne. I don't dislike him, but there's something about him. One, I, I didn't buy him in this movie and it's, it might be someone, uh, I think someone on the slash film cast pointed out he's maybe too pretty. Like his face looks like a, like a statue. Like he's almost handsome. Squidward. Sculpted. Yes. Right. Like, and it, it, it's unnatural looking in a, in a, in a good way like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you're too you don't exist that's not possible you can't be that handsome because my brain can't calculate have what's you going seen on. me john yeah, well you know I, I, again not as much as i've seen eddie redmayne though, to be real. Like, <laughs> we've spoken more but i haven't seen you much um, no i know what you mean though yes but uh like I, I really like him i like uh john carroll lynch uh i like john carroll lynch getting to play like a good guy for a change <laughs> Because he's so often like, if he's in a movie, you're like, oh, he's the killer. Like, I you're wanted just to like... mention that because I saw his name on the on the post. I was like, oh, he's obviously he's obviously the perpetrator in this or the antagonist, just because right. it's him, and it's not. 
no. And I was like, hey, that's refreshing. He and he's good in it. I thought he was very believable as kind of like the yes. the Boy Scout type character. You know, he's like, no, I do everything right. I'm just fighting for for good things. Yeah. JGL um, was very good as well. I like Joseph Gordon a bit an awful lot. I think he's very good in this. He just he's understated in this. He doesn't. His role is pretty. I don't want to call it vanilla, you know, but it's a role that he could probably do in his sleep. But but he does I, that I very think well. He's perfectly cast in that yes. role. Exactly what you're saying. Like it, he he nails that performance. It's the same thing. Like it honestly, in some ways, reminds me of his character in Inception, where he's like, yes, yeah, he's nice. good at what he does, but he doesn't really have any layers. Like he's just like, yeah, I'm here. This is what I do. I do things. Look at um, me do this very well and enjoy it. And I, I'm I'm a fan of his. I tend to like him in, mm-hmm. in things. Um, but he does. He is kind of that's his wheelhouse. Um, he's charming. There's a charm about JGL that just works, right? Like yeah. it's just yeah, yeah. You're just into it. boyish charm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I I was completely captivated. I actually um, I have I don't know if I've mentioned them on this pod, but I have a uh, a group chat with two history teachers who have become my like. Anytime I have a political question or a historical question, I always go to them, uh, and they're they're good friends outside of of that. But that is like where our our chat started with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I was watching this, I immediately was like have you guys heard of this? Neither of them had even heard of the movie because Netflix does a horrible job of marketing their product. Bloody awful. Uh, and so I was like, you both need to watch this movie. And um, one of them has started it, uh, but has had internet issues and things. So hasn't been able to finish it. The other one is going to watch it during Thanksgiving break because our lives are all chaos right now. And, um, but I, I, I think this movie's worth watching. Uh, even if like, I do think there are some problems. I think there are some, some elements of the story that I feel get, Especially if you read the uh, the true part of it, when you ask yourself, well, why did they do that? Why would they choose that? It, it comes into a trope. And I am going to throw this out there. there. There's a white savior trope built into this movie in a couple of scenes that is problematic. There's one particular one, isn't there? Yes. In the sort of yeah. mid, midway through the film, yeah. And especially when you read what really happened, it becomes more problematic that it was written mm-hmm. into the story. And, um, and of course, when you compare who the writer is and that, yeah, you know, it's everyone should want equality and and no one should i feel like nobody should want anybody else to be oppressed like that's to me an inherent virtue that we we shouldn't want people to be oppressed mm-hmm. so yeah. uh, if you're a white guy wanting to help people shouldn't be deemed immediately as a you know a white savior complex however if you rewrite history to make a white character do something that they didn't do it's hard to argue that it's not that you know like it takes away from the what was actually what the actual issue on screen was which was horrifying it was so freaking horrifying and like you said i was so angry so many times watching this movie just just Uh, thinking about those moments now make i'm sitting there clenching my fists and mm -hmm. and that's what this film's gonna do it is a political film they call it that's what they say an awful lot during the uh film was a political trial the, it is going to appeal or not appeal to you, depending on which way, unfortunately, you lean politically and sadly also in life. Um, if you if you lean with Sorkin, this film is going to make you feel one thing. If you don't believe, if you lean another way, this film may rub you up the wrong way as well. And I think that's kind of what Sorkin was going for. But it's come up, but obviously, like JB said, with what's happened this year, basically, it's shining a an ultra bright light on it, which uh, has now ampl- amplified the meaning. Yeah. Like, I think this movie, if this movie comes out in February, it doesn't land nearly as hard 
as it lands right yeah. now because still, there's still a bad. lot of stuff that's happening. Well, the still moment bad. is still bad, yeah, but now, well, because the events of the time, the the thing, the actual things it's depicting are bad no matter what, right? Because they're those things happen. Those things are awful. What makes them worse now is because we've seen six months of chaos in, relating to politics and things of uh, police brutality and things of that nature. And again, whether or not you side on whatever side, it's a, it's a part of the story that resonates differently now than it would have in February because of all the things that have happened. So it is um, – and that's that can be a, a detriment to this film because some people are going to be even more like targeted towards Sorkin because they don't agree with his views where they may not have cared as much in February. you know. But right now – because uh, people aren't going to think, oh, this movie was made over the last two years. They're going to say no. this movie was made in, as a direct response. It was a click of a finger and it all came together in the last few weeks to be made. Well, and that's yeah. people who just watch movies. It's hard to it's hard to frame how long a movie goes into production, mm -hmm. right? Like, I think I read, if I'm not mistaken, I think he started writing the script like 10 years ago. Well, Aaron so, Sorkin, like, is, he, he, he's, a not, he's not a man who's going to rush through his writing. But even before you've got anyone treading the boards on set, You've got a, thing, a little thing called pre-production and then even like pre-pre-production, like the actual idea. I mean, the idea itself and then getting into fruition, locations, budgeting, uh, getting the crew on board, the cast on board. It, do you know what I mean? You don't need me to explain this, guys, but it isn't just a case of let's just get Eddie. Let's call Eddie and Sasha and uh, Frank Landry. Let's get them all on board. They're, they're free. They can come to Chicago yeah. for a couple of days, bash this out and then go back to their lot. And it doesn't quite work like that. Yeah, I was actually, I didn't know almost anything about this movie. I knew Sorkin wrote it. I knew it was getting, um, it, Sorkin is currently um, a target from critics. Like, he, he seems to be getting bashed a lot by uh, um, some of the bigger critics. Although, the Metascore and Rotten Tomatoes don't reflect that. But I think the critics who have more um, pull or more sway seem to be really hitting hard on him. And I I get it. Um, he has a very clear style. And to me, either it works for you or, or it doesn't. I, I find it engaging and I find it interesting. Um, and I, I get some of the complaints that I've read um, about like some of the choice of language. His characters are always like super smart and whip snap. They're not like um, they use phrasing and words that no, nobody would do. They speak in allegory all the time. And it's so it's not he's not going for realism. And when you're making a essentially a true story, a, you know, obviously dramatized true story yeah, yeah. Um, that there's a lot more criticism that can be levied as a result. But it's 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 entertainment. And in, in, in the end, and I find his stuff to be in, endlessly engaging. Think about Moneyball. Moneyball yeah. is a movie about it's not even about it's like not I like baseball. Baseball is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's about the behind the doors like mm -hmm. management side. Who would have thought a movie about baseball management would be entertaining? And that movie is so entertaining. And yes, give credit to Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill; they're both excellent in the movie. But you've got to sell that writing. premise and that you've got to sell that script. We've got to be able to stand in front of a camera and bring those words to life about a subject like you said isn't the sexiest in the world. No, and and he does it, and so. Um, well, I think there, it, it's fair to criticize some of what he does. I think it's it's kind of it's ridiculous to say this is like a bad movie um, at all because it's super engaging. Again, even if he's presenting things incorrectly, I have now gone and done my research on the subject. Or okay, I found a website that did some research <laughs> for me on the subject, and I now know things about this trial that I never knew existed mm -hmm. because of this movie. And so, to me. 
if if a movie brings light to an injustice, it it gets a little bit of a, a positive edge. Because I didn't know about this injustice beforehand. And yes, he does some things wrong, and I I don't think we excuse those things. But I also I think there's there's a reason this film deserves to be watched. Uh, and again, if if responsible viewers will then go and do some, you know, again, very little research on my part, but nonetheless, I, I at least made an effort to learn more about the truth. Then it's, it's, it's for the better because we can see uh, patterns emerge over history. And um, I am a person who generally finds history kind of boring, but when it's presented as a film, I often latch on to it mm-hmm. and that will push me to going and doing the reading that if you were just to say, Hey, read about this. I'd be like, Oh God, do I have to? <laughs> Well, it's on Netflix, though. You're all over that. And when and there's another there's another guy, another actor who pops up later on in the film. It's not in it, it's only for about five minutes, but God, I love seeing that guy. Um, but I know I, I agree. If a film could make you at least seek out the uh, the events or incidents that it was based on, then you know they've kind of done another job, like for, for, like they've done for you in in making you more learned on these kind of sad moments in history, which. 40 or 50 years, 60 years later, nothing much has changed really. But um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with everything you've just said there in terms of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's entertainment. And you know, do you know what I mean? Is with all due respect, what a, what a case to make a story about in terms of being able to get that many people in the same room together and flesh out this story. But there so are, as much as I liked the film, you can't escape that the handling of certainly one character is uh, troublesome, certainly uh one one particular point like we've mentioned um but when i'm sitting down watching the film i'm so engaged in it that at the time i'm more horrified by what's going on it's only when you sit with it afterwards that you do kind of think or when when that one moment happens and then you do think it seems a bit that that like you said that seems a bit staged that seems a bit forced uh into the screenplay and then obviously going to do your research afterwards like i did as well you, you realize that wasn't entirely how it happened or you know these people mm-hmm. didn't quite do it like that in fact they didn't do it at all um so yeah there's, there, it, it served in his history lesson because he actually managed to go out and get some research but in terms of a film yep i i still i still think it's a very decent film i think aaron sorkin not only is he a very good writer but he's becoming a decent director as well uh a very decent director sorry and i just wish i thought good go sorry i was just gonna um I think you see some evolution from this to Molly's game, as far as like the the camera choices and no, stuff I mean, like the that. Editing I think is does... so much better in this film, I think, and and, and yeah. I really like Molly's game as well. But I just think it's just this just flows better. It feels like you say a bit more accomplished. There's an evolution there, and and you can really see that. And and I just wish that Netflix just promoted their films a bit more. If you're going to get this kind of cast, if you're going to get this kind of writer director on board and tell this story, for God's sake. I know you don't. If you just you're going to promote bright to the end of the world, and that film was horrible. Give films like this the uh, the time of day. I remember seeing that film TKB, the Christian Proof, when that and the sequel came out. It was all over Twitter, and Netflix couldn't get enough of promoting it. And that film was absolute crap, but a bloody awful movie promotion. There you go. This is their own bamp over there. But <laughs> it's, we've said it so many times. We all know it. Netflix are horrendous. At marketing their film, they they just obviously rely on word of mouth more than anything because it's it's cheaper. In fact, it's freer for the internet to say go and watch this film than Netflix to chuck any money marketing at it, uh, any money at marketing. But it is what it is, and yeah, you know, I, I I I enjoyed this film again. Problematic as we mentioned, but 
watching it. I was engaged in it. I I liked an awful lot of it. I like I liked all of the performances, and it was a story I didn't know about. So, uh, and I always enjoy going into a film as blind as possible, and I certainly did with this film. And maybe I think I probably got more out of it by not knowing the full story. Had I known, yeah, the the yeah, I agree with that. actual story, I, you, I, I like yourself. Had we both known it, we probably would have gone in thinking this didn't happen or that may have clouded our view, but first time view and I dug it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this and uh, I'm guessing you're going to recommend it too, JB. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent worth watching. Um, I've actually recommended it to a few people and I'll continue to do so. There we go. It's about two hours, 10, 15, 20 minutes. I can't quite remember on Netflix. So, uh, clear out, clear out a few hours and check it out. So that's our review of the trial of the Chicago seven. If you do watch it, let us know what you thought about it. We'll give those social uh, links at the end of the show, but now we move on to our next regular portion called chuffed headlines. Uh, John and myself, we pick a headline from around the world of pop culture that has surfaced within the last week. So it could be films, TV games, whatever it might be. And that's one that's caught our attention for, for uh, you know any reason whatsoever, good, bad, and the ugly. So, uh, John, what uh, headline have you picked this week? So, I I feel like this needs to happen um, fast because I've seen it all over the internet from all sorts of different sources. A headline that reads similar to this: David Fincher calls Joker a betrayal of the mentally ill and explains uh, signing exclusive Netflix deal. I saw now, this headline earlier on. Yes, it's been popping up everywhere, right? And it, it makes fin- it's, it makes it sound like Fincher has criticize the joker but even in this article this is uh, i'm looking at the deadline article right now but i've seen this on multiple websites it's the most clickbait headline ever because that sounds like david fincher is Crapping critiquing on the film, todd yeah. phillips film from a year ago for no reason too why would you bring up joker now a yeah. year later it has other than having no, a fil- your own no film to promote <laughs> but here's why and this is even this is in the article where that's the headline right where it says he calls uh joker a betrayal of the mentally ill he does not call it that at all what he says and i'm going to read the quote exactly nobody would have thought that they they had a shot at a giant hit with joker had the dark knight not been a massive as massive as it was Mm -hmm. i don't think anyone would have looked at the material and thought yeah let's take taxi drivers travis bickle and the king of comedies rupert pumpkin and conflate them then trap them in a betrayal of the mentally ill and trot it out for a billion dollars in a betrayal of the mentally ill, meaning the story yeah. is about the betrayal of the mentally ill. And it is mm-hmm. the whole point of many behind, scenes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. How we ignore them, how we... So Fincher is not criticizing <sighs> That's Phillips' bad. movie that at all. It's so frustrating because I am a huge David Fincher fan. Mm-hmm. I, his movies have worked for me before I even knew about directors. Like when I was watching Fight Club, I wasn't thinking, who directed this? It just hit me in a way. Like I was so f- surprised at that movie. And I hadn't, I didn't realize that I'd seen the game and that I'd seen seven and loved those movies and that it was the same director. It took years before Alien that 3. acknowledgement was made. Right. And I didn't see Alien 3 until way later. So no, that doesn't count. Um, but I don't mind that film. No, I don't either. I'm saying I just, I literally didn't see it till like eight years ago or something like that. So I, I had slept on Alien 3, but I've, I, I, I don't think there's a Fincher film I don't enjoy. And we just talked about um, Sorkin. So talking about Fincher here is also appropriate because they did the social network together. But um, but I taking those words where he is one, he's commenting on the studio system, not letting us normally make movies that tackle tough subject matter. 
I still don't think Phillips was the right person to tackle it. And I don't think he tackles it in any real eloquent way. And I don't fully think he understood what he was doing. That's a, a another issue. I have been outwardly critical of the Joker you and have. Todd Phillips. And and so seeing a quote mis, misrepresented like that, because I, I went in the article like, haha, Fincher, a guy I respect, taking down someone I don't. And that's not what he's doing here. He's, if anything, he's taking down the studios and almost applauding them a little like, hey, good for you finally doing something out of the box that isn't, you know, a superhero movie that isn't a superhero movie. Okay. But to misquote him and then quote him correctly is one of the most aggravating things I've seen in an article. And again, this is a non non-consequential article, right? Like this doesn't, who cares in the end of the day, who cares? But it's such a blatant misrepresentation of journalistic principles. And I went to school to be a reporter I have a degree in mass communications. I teach high school yearbook, which I teach journalistic principles while I do it. And to see that is so frustrating to me. And and again, it's in their own article. Like you see right here, he doesn't call it a betrayal of the mentally ill. He says it's in a betrayal of the mental. It's such. Was it a deadline? Oh. Was it was were deadline reporting this or were they quoting from another site? They're quoting from a, the interview. Um, gotcha. And that's the, every article I've seen with the with the clickbait headline is quoting from uh, it's a UK magazine, um, the Daily Telegraph is where the interview mm, took place. So it's a uh, it's a newspaper, yeah, yeah. So not um, I, I was trying to read the original article, but like it's behind a paywall because it's a newspaper, and so I couldn't because um, I wasn't going to pay for like a subscription to a newspaper that I don't normally read. But um, Let's be real. I wouldn't pay for a subscription to read, period. End of story. Uh, <laughs> I will pay for 18 different movie subscription services, but, you know. But news? Uh, no. Um, I, uh, there's free news, though, Matt. There's free news. Um, anyways, I, I was just really frustrated because, uh, again, I am a big fan of Fincher. Uh, I didn't even read the rest of the article because that was the part that was really upsetting me um, was that. And I kept seeing it. I, like, I, I actually interacted with someone on Instagram because they just re reposted it and was like, what do you think? I'm like, hold on. That's not what he said. Read the damn like, article. It, yeah, he does not call the movie a. Uh, he's not claiming that Phillips was like leaving a betrayal of the mentally ill at all, but the movie's about that, and that's important because again, we don't tackle some t topics like that enough in movies. Like a lot of, especially not in blockbusters, not in movies that made the type of box office that the Joker made. Like those stories don't usually pull in those kinds of numbers, and that's what's crazy about that movie is that it did, and what I what i started doing because i had a lot of students who were just like oh my god it's the best movie i'd be like great here's a copy of taxi driver yeah. go watch this <laughs> watch the original um yeah nothing wrong with taking inspiration I, from a film by the way no not at all in fact if anything i've I, in the last year i've i've become even more i mean let's be fair scorsese made cape fear to be his hitchcock movie it's his tribute mm -hmm. to hitchcock yeah. style filmmaking which zemeckis did with what lies beneath and um, tarantino does with all his films Tarantino borrows from everybody, yes, and and Van Sant didn't even hide it. He's like, I'm just going to do Psycho. I'm just gonna, I call it dibs. Psycho's mine. I'm going to make it just like Hitchcock did, except add some uh. weird uh, Soviet montage into the uh, the kill scenes for some reason. But um, yeah, you know, uh, it, it's 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 not a big story, but it was a story that I kept seeing, and I I want to clear the air. I know not we're not going to change everybody, but if you see people reposting that and not giving context that Fincher did not criticize the film, nor is he claiming that the movie or Phillips is criticizing. He is literally saying the movie is about the betrayal of the mentally ill. And it is maybe mishandled, but it is. So there you go. 
Oh, first three things. Firstly, I've never known John to be this full of rage since uh, a horse <laughs> crossed his path. Uh, secondly, I still can't believe Joker made over a billion dollars at a box office. That's Crazy. wild. And, th- and um, thirdly, what a flip! What a flipping! What an awful headline! If you know, I mean, I haven't read the headline. I'd seen it just doing around on Twitter. John was going to talk about it this afternoon. This afternoon evening, I'll let JB take it away and you know hear what he has to say. And hearing that, I mean, I mean, Jesus, because I'd seen the headline. You know, David Fincher basically says the Joker was a terrible take on the mentally ill. It's dragging people. It's dragging the mentally ill people through the mud and it blah blah. When if actually when he's saying no no no, it's really brave of them to do this uh, about a film which. Uh, doesn't pay due respect to uh, to mentally ill, then bravo, David Fincher. It's nothing at all like the uh, headline would have you say. The headline to me struck like, this is a man who's got a film to promote. How can I promote it? How can I get people talking about me and wanted to talk about my film? Oh, let's just crap on a very successful film from last year. Um, hearing that it wasn't that is very surprising. And I didn't mind. I liked Joker. I thought Joker was a decent film. Uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a classic film. A groundbreaking film, like uh, yeah. people would have have me believe. I think it's a good film, though. But um, it's disappointing, isn't it, when you see um, any kind of high level um, publication like the Daily Telegraph is, you know, allow this kind of crap to come out because it is, you know, or it is uh, a bad look. And for Deadline to run run that story as well, and I imagine countless other reputable uh, outlets have done exactly the same as well. It's it's disappointing, but on the other hand, yeah, well done. You know, well done. Respect to David Fincher for um, for pulling at that and mentioning it because, again, Fincher is a man who some a lot of his films can be uncompromising. I mean, look at things like mm-hmm. Seven or Fight Club. They are not films you would expect, and they didn't. But you would not films you'd think like they're going to make a billion dollars, which is same as Joker to me. They are obviously Fincher's films are uh, to me anyway. They they're more layered and there's more to them mm-hmm. than that Joker yeah. film was, but. Uh, Fincher is speaking from a man of experience of that kind of tone of film. So for him to come out and say, do you know what? Todd Phillips did a did a good job with what he did there and the film uh, making that much money in a studio for backing it. Yeah, good, well done for coming out and applauding it. Because like you say, you don't really hear that very often. So I'm just glad that to get clarification because that is the most clickbaitiest of clickbait I've seen in in months. Yeah, without question. It's and again, it's such an inconsequential article, so it's not like there's definitely worse clickbait for like politics and stuff like that, uh, where the articles actually matter. But it's still like this one's so frustrating because it's going to get people to click on it because people love that movie, so they're going to be like, "What?" And well, they like, won't click on it and and they'll just see the headline. That's the that's the bigger thing, and I am so bad at doing that. That's why I hate clickbait headlines mm-hmm. because I am. I don't have time to read all the time. So I do skim headlines and something might catch my eye and I'll be like, Hey, that's interesting. And if the article is that misleading, or I'm sorry, if the headline is that misleading to the article, then it's man, it's so frustrating. Uh, no. So thank you for clearing that up for me and for the listeners out there who started to think that Fincher may have been a bit of an idiot, but uh, he's not, he's not the Messiah. Maybe not yet. Let's see how Mac turns out in a few weeks time. Um, my headline wasn't quite as controversial, but it's still You know, there's still a lot behind it. It's from The Hollywood Reporter. And they're saying that Universal and Cinemark have struck a historic deal which shrinks the theatrical window for event pictures, so big tentpole pictures, to 31 days. What was the uh, deal before? Does it say? It was was months before, usually. Because usually it was 
it's, it's getting shorter all the time because usually it was about three months, I thought. Um, but what they're saying is, top line, any universal film, or that's universal focus features uh, and DreamWorks animation, any of those films that come under Universal that don't open to $50 million or higher will have the blessing of Cinemark to make its paid video on demand debut after 17 days rather than a month. So whereas before it's 31 days, so it's come down to 31 days. So any title that opens to $50 million or more, which includes, you know, the, your big, big titles that fall under Universal, they'll play exclusively in theatres for at least five full weekends. So 31 days. So, there's a 30, so the theatrical window is 31 days. It's been brought down to. I, I just think I thought it was about three months before, but it's 31 days now if it makes over $50 million. If any universal picture makes under $50 million opening, that in, within 17 days, they can be on premium VOD. You know, you can be paid to stream it, which is a huge, huge deal. And AMC are also on board with this as well. One of the big players are on board, and apparently they're going to start sharing the revenue. Um, as well as Cinemark and AMC of this. Um, so some of the films coming out, you've got The Croods comes out in a week or so, Half Brothers, All My Life comes out the first week of December, News of the World on Christmas Day, and Promising Young Woman also on Christmas Day. So there are five films that Universal have, uh, Universal Focus and DreamWorks have coming out this year, which depending on how well they do, you may be able to watch them for a fee an awful lot sooner, but... To have Cinemark and AMC on board with this, and it's just Universal, the Universal umbrella at the minute. It's not everyone. It's not um, Sony. It's not Warner Brothers. It's not Disney. It's just Universal. But that's a hell of a de- that's 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 a big shift because this theatrical window is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And obviously, we had the um, the hoopla with Trolls World Tour at the beginning of this pandemic when they basically didn't tell cinemas until the last minute that they were going to put the film on. Um, VOD, and that caused an issue as Universal as well. And now they've struck this big deal, big deal. And this includes larger event pictures and tentpole flicks as well. So if any of the big Universal films make under $50 million, well, you can pay for watch it in your home after three weeks. So um, the the landscape of cinema is changing. Myself and John have spoken many times over the last, well, nearly three years of this show about is streaming going to become the way one day? Is this the way? Hopefully not. Is, can theatres survive? And this was pre-pandemic when people like Netflix were throwing big money at, um, at their productions. Amazon Prime came on the scene. We had Disney Plus who were going to make originals. Um, and every every um, TV network seemingly having a streaming service now. Were theatres going to be redundant at some point? Pre-pandemic, no. Theatres were still doing extremely well. Theatres were booming especially if your uh, name was Disney. Post in this pandemic world, theatres are struggling. Obviously, we're not. We, theatres haven't got any money coming in. They're closing their doors left, right and centre. The question is now is, you know, will there be any cinemas to bloody open with, for this $50 million um, deal to come into agreement? But on the back of that, though, the fact that the theatrical window is getting shorter does make me think, you know, how long is it going to be before we do have the option to have certain films available on PVOD immediately, same day as it drops in the cinema. I mean, how long is it going to be before the theatres strike that? Of course, it may not be in their best interest. They're not going to do it with with Black Widow. They're not going to do it with the next Star Wars film. But for a film like The Croods or uh, News of the World, maybe, they can get away with that. But um, 
what are you thinking about that headline, JB? And are we inching closer towards a more streaming theatrical world? I mean, with the, uh, you know, all these closings of the, the theaters, I can't, it's funny that we're even having those debates right now, as far as like <laughs> with those, like we made a deal. It's like, there's no movies coming out. <laughs> like, yeah, what are you exactly. talking about? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do think um, every day that the theaters are closed is a, another more likelihood that the chain theaters or at least will end um that maybe the the big you know regals amcs we're going to end up seeing a reversion to the art house cinemas uh these empty theaters will maybe get bought up by like independent people or maybe even like you know uh several businesses will maybe invest in opening a theater back up once it's safe again you know what i'm saying like um i think we might see that happen if if it keeps this you know trend right now um like if we're not opening theaters until let's say april uh may i think yeah and again the the readily available nature of streaming um and they haven't released a lot of numbers for like like bill and ted uh face the music they did a release i haven't i you know we're still getting box office reports even though there's like very little box office um i know that for like myself it was it would kind of dawned on me i haven't been to um, our local mall, which is where my my close movie theater is, mm-hmm. uh, since March. The last yeah. thing I I went into that mall was uh, uh, to see Bloodshot of oh, all freaking cool, things. Um, and I, I almost went back to watch. Um, I forget what it was. There was something else that had came out, and I was gonna go see it, and then I like hesitated and didn't. And then I think it was The Hunt. I think I was gonna go mm-hmm. see The Hunt, I, and I, I, I was Bloodshot like, was the last film I saw as well. Yeah, it, and what a what a set! I wanted that to be great, and it it's not. Um, but uh, you know, I I am a fr- I am as a person who actually likes going to the theater. It is something I enjoy. And when I think back, um, the last four years especially, I have gone to that local theater almost every single weekend. Yeah, at least once for the like the last four years. So that this year, having not gone since March, is crazy. Um. Now there were some weekends I missed and there were some times where I went more than once uh, or like I'd see two movies in like a few hours. And there was a little stint where I was going um, when, when movie pass went away and uh, before we got the regal uh, cl- crown club card or whatever it was called. Um, when we had the AMC pass was the first uh, movie pass to replace movie pass. And um, I had to go 45 minutes away. So like for a good two months, I was going to AMC at Disney Springs um, every Saturday and watching three movies on a Saturday or two to three movies on a Saturday I with Ventuna. And so like there was a good two month window where I wasn't going to my local theater, but for majority of the last four years, I've been to my local theater, you know, every week, uh, like clockwork. And so not going for six months has been really, really sad. It almost feels like I've lost a, a close friend, you know, it, it was no, it a second does. home. It's a, so- and- it's a social outlet, isn't it? It's a way of getting out of the house it's a way of uh like i say meeting up with your buddies or going solo whatever works best i, I generally go by myself sometimes because i can just get in and out but um it, it is a social outlet and i remember doing the early shifts at work in my last job um it started seven in the morning half seven finish at half four with the unlimited card world. i remember going to watch the new suspiria uh, the old man and the gun straight after work i'd catch the 445 showing so straight from work into the cinema it was almost like a way of unwinding from like the the, you know, the everyday hassle and stress of work nice comfy seats watch a film and then by the time i came out i was like do you know what you know i feel like a million dollars and it just it's it's experience man and 
I hear seven months now, give or eight months without going to a theatre. And I know Tenet came out and, you know, it, it made money, but not an awful lot in comparison to what it could have done. So there was a chance to go. And there are still cinemas, smaller uh, cinemas, art house cinemas open in London. I don't mean pornographic. I mean like art house independent cinemas um, yeah. in London. But it's it's not the time, man. It's not the time. And I worry about the future of theatres, man. Me too. Uh, because, again, it is it is literally my favorite pastime. Like, uh, that is the thing I've done. I, I don't know how many times I've been to a movie theater, but I know if we, I can literally count because I have a – uh, my wife bought me like a shadow box to put my movie tickets in when I nice. started doing Burke reviews. And I have almost every single film ticket that I've received. That's awesome. In the last four years in this little box. And I know, I know I've seen well over 300 movies in the theater in the last four years, you know? So not counting my lifetime. Cause there was a stint when uh, fight club was coming out during like 99 and 2000, I was a senior, I was working part-time. And so I, all of my money went to going to, to the, like I'd go to the movies every weekend. So not all of my money, but I, you know, I was paying for my own ticket mm-hmm. and I actively went for those that year or two. And so I have spent arguably more time in a movie theater than I have doing anything else. And so the idea of never getting to do that again is horrifying for me. And I know it is for you. And probably if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably the same for you. And let's hope that no matter what, uh, there's always a chance that they can reopen. I, I'm not opposed to them changing the way the theaters are done. You know, I wouldn't mind if there were less seats and maybe even if the screen was a little smaller. As long as they're know, still there, man. Yeah, as long as I can still go and watch a movie. Because that's, I don't mind watching a movie at home. I, I own so many freaking movies. It's obviously not a concern that I have. But I know me and I give my attention much better in the theater than yes. I do if I'm at home. Yeah. so uh, right, i miss mate. that and it's uh, and it's it's little things as well it's like getting in the car and driving to the theater there's for me it's 20 minutes maybe so spotify goes on i'm gonna sing my heart out for 20 minutes um have a bit of me time and the same on the way back or depending on how the film was if it was a film which is basically scares the living head out of me or made me think i will use that time to think about the film it's little things like that where you can it's all part of the experience man and the, the heinous amount of popcorn in four or five years that we've both eaten oh. doing respective uh, movie sites and just being film fans is, is unreal. And I agree, man. I, there are films that I watch and sometimes your phone might go off and you just, and, and you'll get it. Whereas you wouldn't do that in a theater or you might just lose what you're doing. and be like, oh, check my phone because it's the natural well, thing to do now. And when, you when you're it, at home, you're at on. home. Right. You're, you're at home and there's other, like other things. People might not respect the fact that you're watching a movie, you know, like not in a negative way, but like (laughs) if you're gone, you're gone. But if you're sitting in the room, it just looks like you're sitting in a room. So it's like, you know, it's, it's the whole atmosphere of what you're doing too. You know, when you watch a movie at home, you're traditionally watching it for entertainment, which is interruptible. Entertainment's not a necessity, but if you're at the theater, you've committed to it. You've made an effort to be there. You've paid money um additional money and uh you know you're you're there's other people there who are also there to see it so if you are a courteous movie viewer which i hope if you listen to this podcast you are you are not going to do anything to take away the experience from anybody else and so if everyone has that kind of social contract it's it's experiential and i and again you uh, bigger sound is more immersive it's yeah. the screen is gigantic it's how it, it's meant to you be are, seen exactly and especially with filmmakers like nolan who specifically film for that purpose with that in mind um 
the idea of never getting to to experience that like i'm gonna end up seeing tenant on home video mm-hmm. before i get to see it on the big screen and that sucks because i've seen every nolan film since batman begins i think um oh that's not true i miss prestige in the theater um uh, and i miss inception in the theater but i've seen everything after that um on, on the big screen um that was in a stint when my kid was really young and I wasn't going to the theater as, as frequently. So mm-hmm. it was like a, it was an ordeal to go then. But once she got, once I could bring her with me, which was uh thank you, Iron Man. Um, <laughs> she was only five when, when Iron Man came out, but she went and saw it with me and she loved it. So, um, you know, and that's, that's actually part of it too, is I miss taking my family to the movies because they, we, we all have weird schedules. And so sitting together at home and watching something just doesn't seem to happen. Mm-hmm. And my, my daughter and I, especially that's, that was our hangouts. We would go see a movie together. And cause she likes the, she's, I got her into the, the more obscure indie stuff, you know? So she'd be like, parenting. let's go see Midsummer. Let's go see, you know, she's into that. And, um, I, and not getting to do that with her for the last six months, I definitely feel like a, a distance from her. So, you know, um, mm-hmm. no, no. it sucks. Yeah. That's it, man. Though. And the, my final point on that is when I'm at home, I, you know, I'll, I'll go to the bathroom during the film at the cinema. God damn, I have a bladder of steel. Nothing's going to stop me from getting up, from watching the film. I very rarely ever go to the bathroom during the film. Last Jedi, halfway through, desperate, held it for about an hour and a half. Health, health oh, people tell me that's not good, but God damn it, I wanted to see what's going to happen with Luke Skywalker. Um, and I wasn't disappointed. So um, that was our uh, chuffed headlines, which is always a... Uh, generally a segment which gets an awful lot of free uh, discussion and it did again didn't disappoint this week so now we move on to uh, media consumption which is where we talk about uh, films tv video games podcasts which aren't ours and uh, comics books whatever it might be anything that we've indulged in to pass the time over the past week and as i always say john's usually got a pretty damn selection good selection so uh, what have you been jumping into man so I did a lot. I watched a lot, especially because I had that extra day off last Jesus, week. Jesus, so you did. Um, um, so uh, I did listen to my favorite podcast, the Blank Check Podcast. Uh, they're, they're still on the Zemeckis journey. Uh, they just did the What Lies Beneath episode, which ah, man, has yes. made me want to watch that movie again because I haven't seen it since it came out in theaters. Um, I have I have it here, the disc right there. Oh, man. Um, I, I need to uh, see that again. I, I can't believe I don't own it, um, but... It's not cheap right now on any of the digital services, so I'm just kind of watching for it. But um, I then continue listening to the Adventure Zone podcast. I am like way into that, the D&D uh, podcast. I think I'm on like episode 33 or something like that. So um, very entertaining, especially if you are learning to play D&D. It's a good kind of uh, not too because they're not they're also kind of learning, but they it, it feels like you could um, grasp it easily and uh, it helps me kind of because i'm playing with my friends and it's been a lot of fun um but then i watched a bunch of movies so i watched the love bug for the first time uh which is the the herbie the love bug for those of you out there uh the old one but from 1968 i watched oliver exclamation point seen it um which i realized watching it how many of the songs i knew from other things like i'd <laughs> heard many of the songs from like other people parody and never knew where it was from um uh like pick a pocket or two i'm pretty sure joey sings in friends as an audition for something sure, um, the simpsons have had that i think i'm sure oh, Apu sure. sang that or something or something similar uh the way i see it is a documentary that is on peacock the new universal nbc streaming service I don't know. um it, dude that 
that documentary it from my understanding it's free to watch if you because uh, peacock has the two styles they have like free stuff and then they have the paid service mm-hmm. um the way i see it is a documentary about uh, a job that i didn't know was a job which is the chief photographer of the president of the united states of america if I'm, something along those lines is the title okay and uh this guy was the photographer for ronald reagan and for obama and um after he finished his time with obama he ended up taking the social media uh in for the first time as a photojournalist but he's decided to kind of forego his unbiased nature as a journalist and ha- has some things to say about this administration <laughs> documentary is really compelling it's very eye-opening about you get to see some amazing photography uh, hearing about a job, especially as a teacher who teaches yearbook, that I didn't know that was a job a, ph- a photographer could chase, you know, uh, being the official photographer for the president. Mm-hmm. Um, Imagine and, that. Uh, it's, dude, it's such a cool documentary. It's really well constructed. Definitely recommend putting, um, wa- giving that a watch. That got me kind of thirsting to go through some documentaries because uh, Big Tuna, I think in the middle of the summer, pointed out to me that this year, 2020, has been an insanely good documentary year, like 2018 was as well. Like if you recall, that was the year "Won't You Be My Neighbor," Three Identical yeah. Strangers. Um, there was three other ones that I can't think of right now. Free that solo come uh, out of you? Yes, it did. I think um, it, it, it's just it's been we've had some really great docs, and this year is the same. So I decided to go on and catch some that I'd missed. Uh, Class Action Park was one that I'd missed. Um, that's an HBO Max original. And uh, it's about Action Park from New Jersey. And if you saw the horrible Johnny Knoxville film Action Point, um, Action Point was inspired by Action Park. I did not know that when I, I saw Action that Point. <laughs> it's it's not worth going to. Uh, it's basically like Jackass Light um, with, and they try to put a story to it that doesn't have that's treated about as much as you would expect the Jackass guys to give you a story. Um, but Class Action Park, really great documentary, uh, crazy documentary, mind you. And even has kind of the gut punch where like you think it's one thing and then it turns out it's something completely different uh, or at least not, maybe not completely different, but there's a, a darker tale to be told than what you're expecting. Um, and then on the record, which is another HBO max doc um, is a, about a uh, record executive. She's the first black woman to uh, accuse Russell Simmons of rape during the right. Me Too movement and a really great documentary. Very uh, obviously going to be controversial and people who are going to, you know, victim shame and things of that nature. And even I think the fact that the documentary exists will throw some of that shade into it as well. Mm-hmm. But I found it to be endlessly compelling. I cried multiple times during it. Um, just super tragic, uh, but definitely worth watching. Um, and that led me to the biggest documentary of this year, I think. Uh, and by big, I do mean lengthwise, because this is the equivalent of the OJ documentary from go. last year. Uh, I had not watched, I still have not watched the OJ documentary, but I, I, had heard great things about The Last Dance, the MJ slash Chicago Bull documentary, uh, and my God, 10 hours uh, that is divided into episodes and is now on Netflix, um, which is where I watched it. Oh, man, dude, what a documentary. I was a huge basketball fan for a long time. I still would say basketball is my favorite sport. I don't keep up with it much anymore. But, man, watching this brought me back to my, my middle school years when I was obsessed with the Orlando Magic um, that's when we had Shaq and Horace Grant and everything. And I was, I was a kind of Bulls fan, but because they were East and magic was East, I kind of hated Jordan at the same time, but it was like that thing where like you hate him, but you also know he's the best. He's the goat and, at the time of the, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's so crazy how we've, we've had Jordan into Kobe into LeBron yeah. uh, because they're all amazing players and they all elevate and do things for the game that are just insane. And this documentary is so 
awesome because of the one, the construction of it, um, because it is centered around the last championship the Bulls win. That is what the last dance. In fact, I didn't know this, but Phil Jackson dubbed that year the last dance, and that's where the documentary gets the name. But then it, it cuts back and forth between the earlier years when Jordan gets drafted, and then it's it's heavily focused on Jordan. You have a lot of candid behind the scenes stuff. Uh, you you kind of learn that Jordan's kind of a jerk, but you kind of understand at the same time. Like I I was endlessly engaged with it. Ten hours went by pretty quickly. I watched it in like two days. Um, and I was doing other stuff while watching it, but it was, man, super engaging, really awesome. Uh, very, very cool look into the world of basketball. Um, and I don't, I don't think you have to be a basketball fan to care because I think it's just super compelling. Um, plus there's Jordan had some crazy stuff. Like I forgot, I had forgotten that his father didn't just die. His father was murdered. And then what I didn't know, and this, I, I don't feel like this is spoilers because it's like true story mm-hmm. stuff i guess but and it's 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 not done that way like but they do talk about that but like that's crazy like the world's biggest celebrity at the time his father is murdered and it is apparently a hundred percent a random incident like it's not like they targeted jordan's father like the way it, it appears is that they they just happened to see a guy sleeping in his car because he was driving and he like stopped at a rest area and they're like hey let's let's steal yeah. And that it just happened to be Jordan's father. Like, I mean, that's insane, right? Like, I mean, that is a crazy it's weekend. horrible, so, man, isn't uh, it? It's obviously, yeah. obviously, what are the odds? But it's horrible, man. Right, yeah. Um, and so I watched that. But then uh, for Movie Club, we are covering the Before Trilogy. Uh, yeah. Finally got to watch the last part of the trilogy. My God, Matt, that trilogy is, it might be up there in my favorite trilogy. Yes. Like, Back to the Future is going to have it. But link later is before trilogy um it does so many things so amazingly and it is it's it's talking it is it's literally like oh, just under six hours of two characters talking and yet it's so engaging it's so it's so crazy it, it's really really great um there's more characters in before midnight than in any of the other films by the way because there's like a whole the first like quarter of the movies with like another group of people you're with the two, the couple, but you are with other people more than you've been in any other moment in the movie. But um, I found so much of it uh, just endlessly compelling heart, you know, gut wrenching, heartbreaking, um, in- encouraging and-, and hopeful. Like it's, it's all of those things. And it's beautiful. There are some shots in that, in this one, especially that are just absolutely amazing. So I'll be talking with Corey about that on Ooh. movie club for this week, uh, wrapping up the trilogy. And then last night, Matt, I checked off a major gap list for me. Um, a movie that came out in 1998, Pleasant. Oh, I saw that in the cinema when it came out. I, I wow. completely had no interest in that movie. I don't know exactly why I was so like against it when it came out. And then I've just never bothered. And I'd heard over the years that it was, you know, the cinematic Marvel. It's, it's, you know, obviously the, the black and white and the use of like how he brings color back is really great, but I had no idea how awesome this movie was going to be. And again, I think there's some things in this movie that definitely resonate more right now than they would have in 1998, because there's, uh, there's very clear allegorical things about the civil rights movement, although in a completely whitewashed town, which I think is kind of upsetting in one way, but it also makes perfect sense in the context of the story. Um, but like the, a, there's a character named Whitey. Mm-hmm who makes a comment about a colored girlfriend, but the colored is meaning she has color. Yeah. In like this black and white everyone world, else yeah. is in black and white. Yeah. So like, like 
things like that are pretty pointed, you know, pointed and on the nose. But um, it was I didn't know that was going to be in the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like I thought it was just like a cheesy rom com kind of thing, and it is so much more than that. Um, uh, I I was really impressed, and I love seeing Jeff Daniels. Of course, let's be real. Of course. And um, I think easily, I think Pleasantville might be the best casting of Tobey Maguire. I don't remember the film. I remember being 12, 13, however old I was, but 13 or so when it came out, or 14. Um, and yeah, at that age, it's like, eh, it's, it's fine. I really would like to go back and watch it now, though, because I, I. But that's my only memory of the film was sort of being probably too young to watch it and appreciate what was really going on. And just kind of being kind of like blase about it. Like, yeah, it's whatever. Um, but I'd really like to go back and watch that because Toby Maguire and Gary Ross worked a, worked again on John, one of John's favorite films, Sea Biscuit, like five years later. So they they do have that kind of they did come back and work together again. But I really and I didn't mind Sea Biscuit even with the horses, John. But I, I would like to go back and watch Pleasantville. But with your kind of thumbs up there, then maybe I'll fast mm-hmm. track it. And what what prompted me to watch it uh, last night was Big Tuna just had to watch it. Um, he's he's already a fan of it, but he watched it in a college class because mm-hmm. um, he's going he's in film school right now. He's a hero. And uh, uh, I was like, you know, I really should watch that. And I, I apparently recently bought it um, on Voodoo, so I was like, there it is. Uh, let's let's give it a watch. Just so, things popping into your library without realizing. I buy a lot of movies, um, so. If if it's if I have read about it in a book that is like praising film, like in that one I read about in like two or three different books because of the use of color and stuff, it gets a lot of uh, positivity. But even in terms of storytelling, and again, I I really like uh, Maguire in that, and I am I'm kind of not a Maguire fan. I've really soured on Maguire mm-hmm. over the years, um, and so uh, for this movie, like at the beginning, I was like, I don't know if I can make it through <laughs> with Maguire because I was immediately fights. like, what a, what an obnoxious, but. Um, but by the, by the, I don't know, 25, 30 minute mark, I was like, no, he's perfectly cast for this character. Like it, he's great. Um, and it, it, it went places that I didn't think it would go in terms of story, even just like I, with his character, I thought I had kind of nailed down what his character arc would be. And it wasn't at all what I was expecting. So I, I was, I was pleased in every way, but I was, it was a very pleasant experience. Ah. Um, but also make Pleasantville pleasant again is definitely a slogan that could be uttered uh, <laughs> in today's time. Um, just saying. So, um, and then lastly, uh, which will lead into yours. I, um, I watched Mandalorian episode three. What did you think of it, man? I liked it, except have you noticed that each episode's getting shorter? Like at the rate we're going, the last episode is going to be like three minutes long. It's going to be a gif. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's 30, 36 minutes long. Which originally I was disappointed at, but when I was watching it, I mentioned it on the sessions recap the other day. It was because it was absolutely pounding through. I was like, "How long is this?" Yeah, and I was halfway through, and I was like, 17 minutes." Like, "Oh crap!" There's only seventeen minutes left, but it didn't feel like it was short. If that makes sense, because they got so much in. Agreed. It didn't feel like a half an hour, but um, yeah, you know, I, I I thought this was I thought it was a really really good episode. I thought it was brilliant, uh, but I'm always interested to hear what JB thinks about it. Yeah, no, I I don't want to talk much about it because I don't want to like get into spoilers. Of course, um, and there is definitely some things that I I have not watched any of the animated stuff, and I saw a clickbaity headline earlier that said Mandalorian requires you to watch no. the Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, so you know, I was like, okay, no, you can the the what Favreau and Filoni do well is they realize that this is they've got the balance right for me anyway as a 
diehard, a big fan. They've got the balance right of pleasing like the fa- the fans, the the normal ones, um, but also introducing this new world to new people because it's a streaming service, uh, it's a streaming original. Fans, people, sorry, sorry, people who aren't fans of the franchise will probably check it out because it's another TV series to watch. They need to cater to them as well. So if anyone, if, if anything is referenced from those animated shows, they're doing a good job or anyone else, the cameos, they're do, I, I think they're doing a good job of giving you all the backstory you need or any kind of um, story you need to kind of get on board with these characters. I think they're doing a good job. But then again, I know, Agreed. I know the stories. If you don't know the story, then I don't think you can look at any character and be like, Who's, who's, you know, what's what's their game? What what what's their stake in this? Because they say it, they say it in enough words that it, this is, this is what my part in the story, or this is where I've been, and that's it. Somebody like me will watch that and think, oh, I know exactly what you, I know. Everything about you is wonderful, but uh, I know people who haven't watched those anime, like yourself, Finn, who haven't watched it, who who have got on board of it, and obviously in weeks to come, we'll see how far that goes. I just hope. My only fear is they don't dilute it too much with legacy or existing characters because I, I always want the focus to be on Mando and Baby. Yeah. I want them, and that because that is the heart of the story. Obviously, uh, Cara Dune, Gina Carano. I'm not sure if I can mention her name anymore, but and uh, Carl Weathers, Brief Cargo. Like those, you know, that was the that was the team, and uh, Giancarlo Esposito as Moff Gideon, who I think is amazing, and he's only been on screen for like three minutes. He's got such a cool presence. And it's Esposito, who's just a brilliant villain. Right, he is—he's just a great actor, and exactly. so he brings—he brings a gravitas to this mm-hmm. the show that other ones just don't. And yeah, Mando is a character who I—I I thought I—I I liked Mando in the first season. I've really come to love Mando in this season. Like Baby Yoda kept me coming back, but now Mando is like I'm there for Mando. Like their I, bond is—they're really hammering. There's no spoilers there, but they're really hammering home the bond now between Mando and Baby. Yep, agreed. They have a, they have like a comedic timing, all this, like an odd couple type presence now too, which I love, you know? Yep. No, I agree. Uh, Mandalorian season two, episode three, chapter 11. God, it's getting more of a mouthful to remember each week. Uh, chapter 12 comes out uh, tomorrow upon release of this. So already looking forward to that. I cannot wait to talk about it with everybody out there again. Um, so there you go, John. It's always got a ridiculous amount of things, cool things to talk about, and mine is a lot less uh, interesting, or certainly more certainly sparse in comparison. Mandalorian. Uh, I'm playing some Mandalorian toys. We were lucky enough to get some sent via Hasbro. Our friends over there um, sent us a ton of Mando figures and toy. I say toys, adult toys. That sounds even worse. Christ, figures, action figures, and stuff like that uh, for the Mando. So we've been checking those out. Um, uh, I watched Ghostbusters 1 and 2 uh, on Sunday for MPM. We're doing a That's Ghostbusters it. episode this week. I like both movies. I I'd always I I remembered more of 2 because I watched that more growing up. And I've always heard I'm always hearing the complaints, you know, episode, the first one is is that loft is lauded as like an A-tier film and the second one is awful in comparison. And whilst I do think the first one is a, is better because yeah. it is, it, it's it's a little bit more. The second the second one plays up to its you know silliness a little bit more. I think it becomes a bit more comedic. It's not quite as um, chalk and cheese as Gremlins one and two, but it's to me it's a little bit like that where it goes a bit more that route that route. Sorry, in the second one, but 
And the second one is, to be fair, almost like beat for beat the same film. It's just a bit uh, lighter in tone. But I still like both of the films, man. Um, so it was, a, it was a joy to go back and rewatch them. And I hadn't seen the first one in years. And I just a few things I'd forgotten about it, especially sitting around Rick Moranis' character. And it's just such good fun, those films. I had such good eyes beaming throughout, the certainly the first and the second one, to be fair. I was beaming. I mean, this warm feeling of watching us as a kid and having the toys and um, everything as a kid. Uh, it brought back good memories, man. So uh, Ghostbusters 1 and 2. Uh, like John, I also watched Oliver. And it wasn't just a happy coincidence that we both happened to watch the 1968 film where people talk funny in an English accent. Uh, we're covering it on movie astrology in our next episode. Uh, 1968, our 2001 episode dropped the other week. It's quality. Thank you for everyone who's listened to it. Um, but yeah, our 1968 one, we're going to be recording that in the next next week or so. So we've been swatting up. I also watched William Friedkin's The Birthday Party, which was on my Friedkin gap list. I think it's the only one I hadn't seen now, but I have now seen that. So uh, I'll give our thoughts on that episode when it comes out in about the episode comes in about three or four weeks time. Uh, and also today, upon recording, I watched on Disney Plus the Star Wars Lego Holiday Special. Yes, um, obviously after the much maligned and humorous like nineteen seventy eight Holiday Special seventy nine one, the original that George Lucas wants to smash with a hammer, um, and that Mark Hamill still references today. Lego have turned around and done their own one, um, and it's not it's nowhere near as like whatever you want to call that original one. This is more like a, a Lego film. If you like the Lego films, you're going to like this film. It, it's 47 minutes long. It's not even a film. It's a short, basically, uh, feature length short. It's 47 minutes long. It's it, it's Ray has to go on a mission and she needs to get back in time for the Life Day party. So it ties in with the first one about Life Day. Um, but it's it's set after the rise of Skywalker and it sees, as the synopsis says, it sees Ray having to travel back through time and like the old films. Uh, and see moments from the old films and not getting involved in that. And it's a lot of fun. Watch it as you would do a Lego film and just enjoy it. It's There's a lot of fun to be had with the Star Wars Lego Holiday Special. It's you know it's not the best Lego film I've ever seen or Lego production, but it's a lot of fun. So check it out. 47 minutes long. Come on, you can make a cup of tea and coffee and probably drink it and it'll still be warm by the time you finish it. So uh, the, the Lego Special. So check that one out, guys. So... Um, that's what we've been watching or indulging or checking out or listening to in the last week. But I mean, that's quite draining on the old stamina levels and being on the bloody awesome movie podcast, there is a level of bloody awesomeness that needs to be attained. And as of now, only me and John have been able to really hit those heights. We're like the Bill and Ted of being bloody awesome. So it, it's a lot of work to do. So each week we having to come up with new things or throw ourselves into new ventures in order to stay bloody awesome. So John, how have you been recharging the bloody awesome batteries in the last week? Well, as you might have noticed, listeners, um, it was binging documentaries, diving into the world of, of true storytelling, uh, a true, true storytelling, right? Yep. Um, I, I Sometimes it's a way of like broadening your horizons to things that are real that you didn't know existed, which it was true for many of the things, except for the 10-hour Dynasty documentary that I watched, because... <laughs> Um, I did know most about the, the bulls, but nonetheless, it was cool to revisit. And uh, I, I don't always take the time to do docs. And so sometimes kind of diving into them like I did. I don't think I've ever dove into them like I did really in like three or four days. I watched like four documentaries and then 10 hours of a docu-series. Um, so That's that was a lot. Man. Yeah, and it was, but it was, it, was good, it was good entertainment. And also uh, I feel smarter. So that's why. <laughs> what about that- you? What, what have you been doing? I've been uh, doing the B word as well, binging. 
but mine's been a little less um, uh, revolutionary, revelationary. Sorry, I've been binging the Mandalorian because, as I mentioned up top, having a poorly Padawan, it's kind of led to me being at home and obviously during the day, my focus, as it always is, is on obviously the welfare of my daughter and stepkid. Um, but obviously, when when they're under the weather, you feel that certain duty to be there even more than you probably would be. Um, and even more attentive to their needs. So come bedtime for the nipper, I was you kind of you're knackered, you're shattered. It's like, you're in a kind of mood where you just want to watch something kind of kind of comfort viewing, where you know you're going to watch it, and you're going to be like, "This is pretty awesome." You kind of you know after the after the day, it just makes you sort of recharges those batteries, so to speak. So I've been binging on the Mando. I've been going back through season one and rewatching it with obviously with the goggles and knowledge of season two now and. I dig it, man. Yeah, I am biased, but I, it's great. I really love it. So I've been binging on the Mandalorian, man, and it's uh, and I've been sort of going to bed, think pumped up, thinking, you know what? I wish I was a masked maniac like Mando, and I could just go around with those flamethrowers and a little green baby and just like do things that he does. And I can't, but I wish I could. Wish I could be a Beskar boy, but I'm not. So I've been binging the Mandalorian, my friend, and it's made me feel bloody awesome and. I'm digging the end of the year, man. Eight week, eight Fridays of Mandalorian. Uh, Netflix, you can keep your um, dump everything in one go uh, system because this weekly thing, as hard as it is to wait per episode, I love the build up. I love the chat and the discussion and being able to binge in between. So uh, John's been binging docus and I've been binging the Mando. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I keep forgetting that it's dropping on Fridays. Like, I'll remember on Friday, like, oh, yeah, I got a Mando episode to watch. Um, so, yeah. No, I'm but... up early to watch it because I say on the sessions, we recap it at about midday UK time, which is what, 7 a.m. US EST. Um, so I'm up early anyway, doing a school run. So, but it's like it's like Christmas Eve every Thursday for the next few weeks until it will actually be Christmas Eve. So um, I'm really, really enjoying this Mando world we're living in. But um, for the BAMP world, it's come to an end now, unfortunately. So this our Trial of Chicago 7 episode is done. What an episode it was. And we're going to be back next week, potentially talking about Hillbilly Energy, Netflix film directed by Ron Howard. It stars Amy Adams and Glenn Close. Um, obviously waiting on to make sure the date on when that drops. We believe it's next Tuesday, so it should be fine. Otherwise, I think we're going to be talking about Rebecca on Netflix. So... It's going to be a Netflix film again, of course. Hopefully it'll be Hillbilly Elegy next week. But um, that, like I say, that's that for the episode. If you want to find out more about us, and like we said up top, if you want to let us know what you thought about the trial of Chicago 7 or anything we've said, or you just want to talk film, you can do. You can find us on Twitter at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. Uh, Instagram, John, where can I find us? We are at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Yes, on Facebook, just look for Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. You'll see us there. And if you have a dog, they can join in too. Um, individually, you can find me at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and just search What I Watch Tonight, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and you'll find me. Uh, John, where can the listeners find you? I am at com, and all of the social media is just at BerkReviews, B-E-R-K Reviews. Yep, go check it out and go check out uh, Movie Club every week with Corey as well because it's damn good. And rate and review the BAMP on your podcast provider of your choice if you have a spare few minutes. We would absolutely love it if you have spare 30 seconds. If you could jump on, click that five-star button, leave us a good positive comment if you enjoy the show because it helps us grow. It gets more listeners on board and it means we get more engagement with uh, beautiful 
movie fans like you guys out there. But with that, as always, guys, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 